0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to Research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, please sign in through your Facebook account or blog, Talk Radio. Well, tonight's show, Finding Josephine, is a family history story, and I am happy to have Dionne Ford, a freelance writer and MFA candidate at New York University, on the show tonight. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, Moore, Ebony, and other publications. Her essay for Moore on her family's history won two magazine awards. She lives in New Jersey with her husband and two daughters and blogs about her family's history at Finding Josephine. So let me give a warm welcome to Dionne Ford. To research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Dion. Thank you so much, Bernice. Thanks for having me here. Well, Dion, I am looking forward to you sharing with us your journey to find Josephine. So, just help everybody understand who is Josephine? Josephine is my great
0: grandmother um she was my my father's um grandmother and i first heard about her when i was 12 my grandfather was visiting from new orleans um and um it was really the first time that i had had a chance to spend any time alone with my grandfather we would visit him in new orleans but we lived in new jersey and uh usually you know i was always with other family members whenever i was with him but on this day we were by ourselves and um my grandfather was a very fair skinned man and i guess at that time being 12 issues of identity were starting to come really to the forefront of my mind. And I asked him if he was white because he was so fair. And he explained to me that he wasn't white, that his grandfather was white and that his um, mother had worked on his grandfather's plantation is how he put it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, that's when I uh, first heard about uh, their child, um, the grandfather and grandmother's child, Josephine, who was my grandfather's mother.
1: Okay, and so when he said that his mother worked on his grandmother's plant- grandmother. grandmother worked on his father's uh-huh. plantation, did he say she was a slave, or what did he say?
0: No, when he talked about his grandmother and his grandfather, he. Spoke of it as uh, her working on his plantation, and I figured out that that he was talking about slavery. I didn't. I did ask him then if he if she had been uh, a slave, but he didn't answer me. Um, he went on to talk about other things about his his life in New Orleans and uh, his time living in Ocean Springs, uh, Mississippi, which is where my dad was born. Mm -hmm.
1: And and how long ago was this again? When I had this conversation with
0: my grandfather, I was 12. So that's, I hate to date myself, but it's over 30 years ago.
1: (laughs) Yes, and, and, you know, and how many kids have an opportunity to just sit there at 12 years old and ask the question? Yeah, I, I, you know, at the time I wasn't so excited about it
0: because I was 12 and I would have rather been outside hanging out with my friends. But I was in charge of staying with my grandpa uh, until my parents got home. My grandpa at the time was um, legally blind, so um, they didn't want my grandpa to be alone in the house, uh, you know, understandably. And um, so it actually just presented a really nice opportunity for me to, you know, really get to know him for the first time and um, to hear this really rich history, which um, had never been mentioned to me before. So I was really, in, really excited at the time and then um, later really excited to uh, revisit it and try and do more research on it.
1: Yes. So tell us about your research journey. Just how did you uh, proceed to find Josephine? Sure. Well, I had a lot of um, false starts, I guess I should say.
0: I did try and um, find more information about her when I was in my 20s. Right before I got married, um, my grandfather died by that time, but my grandmother was still alive, his 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 wife, and she knew a lot of our family's history. Um, so I went to visit her and and hope to get more information. But it was it, it was not it was not to be. I, I I was able to visit Ocean Springs and um and see some places where my father had. Um spent his childhood, but I really didn't learn that much more about um josephine um I learned a little bit about her father, but um not much so it wasn't until um really the internet came about that I was able to find more information um and that's because a genealogist and um historian. In Ocean Springs, uh, started to record history about Ocean Springs on his website. One of the things that he posted on his website was a fam- was a picture of my of my family. It was a picture of my great great grandfather, my great great grandmother, my great great grandfather's wife, and two girls who looked like they were biracial and who I assume were probably my great great grandparents children um, so finding that website online was just uh, a huge um a huge stroke of luck and and like hitting a jackpot because this um historian had had included a lot of information about my great great grandfather his name was Colonel Stewart um who was kind of a instrumental person in that town and in, in getting um People to start to see it as a, a, I guess, like a uh, tourist spot, you know, a, a vacation spot, and so yeah. there's a lot of information about him. Also, my great great grandfather cultivated a strand of the pecan called the Stewart pecan, and so there was information about that on there as well. So, um, and this historian did also include some information about the purported <laughs> um, um, children. From Stewart that came uh, through uh, his his slave, my great great grandmother. So,
1: and I uh, just so, want to share great. with everyone that is the picture that's rotating as you're talking, Dion. Your picture mm-hmm. is rotating, but we also have the, fo- the the portrait or the picture of your family. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, well, I was, think uh, it's a wonderful picture just to think that, you know, someone was doing that history, but then they had the photo to go along with the history. Yeah, it's it's a remarkable
0: photo. Uh, it's so hard to believe that uh, the photo was, was uh, put together, you know. I mean, in those days, there was no instant, photography you know they would have had to plan to uh have a have a an arrangement like this so um it just suggests so much about uh the levels of their relationship that they would all sit together like this for a planned photograph mm-hmm.
1: oh yes 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 what was your general reaction when you saw it uh, my 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 mouth dropped to the floor. I I really could not
0: wrap my mind around the picture itself. I, I couldn't understand why, um, considering their relationships to one another, that my you know my great great grandmother was enslaved to the couple sitting behind them. Why they were sitting in this photo that was taken well after slavery ended. Um and. But at the same time, I was just really elated to come come across something um, that documented my family like this in a way that I never thought that I would um, be able to um, learn about them. So so it was really exciting and also very confusing at the same time, much like yes, the entire research journey has been.
1: Mhm. So then, take us uh, beyond. Okay. So you've you, this historian has documented and provided information about your family. So now that you know that you are a descendant of Colonel Stewart, uh, and you have seen other family members. So tell us more about your journey. Sure. Well, once I found the picture,
0: um, I, my first. The first thing that I did was try to reach out to the, um, to the historian who had um, posted it on his, on his uh, website. Um, it took me a while to get in contact with him, but meanwhile, um, for, you know, for, to get a response back. Um, but meanwhile, while I was waiting for a response, I also started um, looking into Ancestry.com. That was new to me. Um, I didn't really know that much about the new um, genealogy websites that were coming online. So um, I just kind of started poking around there. And it took about two years to get any um, real traction on this history. So in the two years of poking around, and I should say, I have two children, and my children were pretty young at the time so um a lot of that two years was also just interruption of you know regular domestic life um sure taking, taking you know more more presence um uh, so but um, in 2009, well, I should say in 2008, I came across a posting on Ancestry.com of someone else looking for Tempe. Tempe is uh, the woman in the middle of the photo. That's my great-great-grandmother. That's Josephine's mom. Um, so I came across a posting of someone also looking for her, um, saying that they were all that they were her, um, you know, descendants um so i sent them an email back saying that i too was related to them and you know as you know or i think many people who use ancestry or i should say if they use it like me they will frequent it for a while and then drop off and not really check for a while and and then go back to it and um so i think this is this is what happened is that i i made that response and then time a lot of time passed before I got a reply. Well, it just so happened that I got a reply on the same day that I returned from my grandmother's funeral. That's the grandmother who also had some information about I thought had information about my um these ancestors and um, I'd gone to the funeral in New Orleans, and um I had kind of resigned myself to the fact that I probably wouldn't find out anything else about my um family, um, that part of my family since she was gone, um, I don't know, it felt like a door closing. Um, so I was really surprised when I returned home from the funeral and had a response from the other descendant of Tempe. Um and turns out that um that was my third cousin once removed, um, uh, Monique who also lives in New Jersey, about 45 minutes away from me. And um, pretty soon we were able to meet, and we began researching together, and that's when um, together we were able to really um, make a lot of headway with this this, uh, research. And that's when also working together we decided to start a blog.
1: Yes, and it is just wonderful to find someone else. To go along with you on that journey. And it's great that you even followed up once you found it on Ancestry that there was somebody searching for Tempe. I know I had a similar experience. It wasn't with Ancestry, it was afrogenius.com, of which mm-hmm. I found somebody also searching. Going through kind of the same journey I was going through, and by connecting with that person, we also continued to work to find our ancestors. So, you know, I guess a lesson uh, to be learned or be shared with everyone is that if you find someone else and and they're doing the same thing, join in partnership with each other.
0: Yeah. The
1: partnership was key.
0: Definitely, and, you know, it was also really exciting to find somebody, you know, we're we're about the same age, we both have daughters around the same ages, and um, that we lived in the same state and could easily visit each other. It was all just um, really exciting, and I think it's fair to say that the two of us were probably the people most interested in our family history in each of our families, (laughs) so it was nice (laughs) to have a a partner, you know, it was nice to have somebody who... um, was as excited about finding, you know, a ancestor in a census <laughs> as as I was, as opposed to, you know, my brothers and sisters who were endlessly bored with all of my things I think yeah, <laughs> I think most
1: of us research and we kinda know about that, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So it was really, yeah. really great to have somebody, you know, who was really excited and and, um,
1: so tell us, was there anything else you discovered about Tempe um, as you and your newly discovered cousin uh, started your journey? Yeah, geez, it seems like there's um, so
0: many things to mention. But the things that um, the things that jump out at me uh, are one thing was. Um, something that my grandmother had actually. She had these really beautiful um decorative cups uh with with Tempe. one had Tempe's name inscribed on it and the other had Josephine's name inscribed on it. This was oh, really wonderful. Big, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful from um uh, trying to remember the date. Nineteen I wanna say nineteen oh one maybe. Um but these were really important to me because I was having trouble finding anything that linked um, Josephine and Tempe physically like that. So it was really nice to learn from my first cousin that she had taken these um, decorative glasses out of my grandmother's house right before Hurricane Katrina. Um, Had no idea, I don't think that the hurricane was coming, but just, you know, for safeguarding had had removed them and thank goodness because now we still have these beautiful decorative glasses and apparently they're from a trip that tempe and josephine took to um mount clemens michigan together um not 1901 i'm sorry 1905 so that was a a really lovely um find and another thing um that um monique and i found together when we went to visit uh, Ocean Springs in New Orleans is we found that Tinti, um owned property. She was a landowner. Um, that was really, really gratifying to see. And not only did she own land, but she also um, sold some land to her two daughters, Mike Josephine and another daughter, um, Violet, for a dollar. So she, um, so she passed land down to them. And I just thought that that was really... Fantastic. And finally, this is um, probably the um, thing dearest to my heart that uh, we found, and it wasn't even found by us, it was found by a complete stranger through Afrogenius that then contacted us, was uh, newspaper articles, uh, one that Tempe had written uh, in the Lost Friends column of the Southwestern Christian Advocate um, looking for her family who she'd been separated from through slavery. And that just was such a fantastic find because first just for its sentiment, I mean, it's just heart-wrenching but wonderful to see this connection after so many years of still wanting to, you know, find her family. Um, But um, also in the newspaper article she names her family. So now we had Yet another generation of our family, we saw Kimpy's mother's name, Eliza. So that just was thrilling. And um, I know you asked about Kimpy, but I'll tell you about Josephine as well in this, since it's connected. Is we I learned that um, Josephine was a frequent uh, writer to the newspaper. She would write editorials and uh, just little little comments. And um, that was touching to me because I started my career as a writer as a newspaper reporter. So it was very nice to feel connected to her in that way.
1: Yes, it's in the jeans, huh?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe.
1: Right. Well, how wonderful, though, to actually find something in the warning. You said she was searching for her family members, and she named them, and you also found her mother's name?
0: Yeah, I mean it was just really remarkable. And that um that I'm sh- I'm sure people um have heard maybe of the of the Lost Friends column. Um and yes. like I said, this particular one was from the Southwestern Christian Advocate and so um I- I'll just I'll just read very short. I can read the beginning. She writes, "Mr. Oh, Editor, please, I just Please read. Yeah. Yes. She writes, "This was June 4th, 1891. She writes, "Mr. Editor, I desire to find my people. Mother's name was Eliza Burton, sisters Nancy, Polly, and Liberia Burton. I had a brother, Albert Burton, who died, and two aunts, Peggy Manroe and Betty Matthews. My mother's sister, Nancy, brother Albert, Aunt Betty, and Aunt Peggy lived on the same plantation and belonged to Dr. Sterling's people. Liberia and Polly belonged to Dr. Robert Hilliard. Liberia was salivated when a child. I left them in Atacapa, Louisiana. Any information concerning the oh. me- Thankfully received. Address: Mrs. Tempe Burton, Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Care: W. R. Stewart Esquire. <laughs> so, oh my goodness! Yeah, it was very, very um, powerful to see that all that, all that sentiment and all that information, all in one place. And I can't ignore that at the very end, it's written Care W. R. Stewart who. <laughs> Was um, my great great grandfather the man who um, she had uh, her children with? So um, that was just a very interesting. caveat at the end there.
1: Oh, oh and yes, I and say, I have comments, so I need to tell you what some of the people oh, okay. are saying in the <laughs> chat. In the, in the sure. chat, you know, isn't that wonderful to have that information? What a joy to find that. It would be great to learn more about the Southwest Christian Advocates. This is a Mm -hmm. comment uh, where someone said they had a similar experience with a possible collateral line that wrote a letter to this newspaper. And he, too, named his family members that were sold during slavery and named the slaveholder. Another comment that touches the heart. You know, this is incredible tears and then is the southwest christian advocate digitized um some of it is
0: um so this this article that um our friend who was a stranger forwarded to us was digitized on the um the new england uh historical Society's I'm sorry, New England Genealogical Society's um their their archive, which is called something different. I think it's called like American um history something. AmericanAncestors
1: like dot org, is that it? That's it. That's it. Thank uh-huh. you. Sorry,
0: I, I I forgot the name. So so they have um a certain dates digitized there. I don't think they have all of them, but they have many of them. Um so um so one could definitely find Southwestern Christian Advocate letters there and articles there. Um I'm not I think that might be a fee service, but I'm not I'm not sure. But okay. also I should I should say that um the um some of these lost friends articles are also uh through you can also find them through the New Orleans I believe the New Orleans Library, if I'm not mistaken, I think I saw something just the other day that they had done a whole project to um, to post some of these so so that they're digitized there. I'm sorry I didn't think uh, to look that up, but um, I think it's the New Orleans um, Library.
1: I well, we'll that... have to look into that. Uh, yeah. Dion, we do have someone in the chat that's stating that she is related to the Sterling and Stewart descendants of West Feliciana. Oh. Of where? It says West Feliciana. Wow, is that right, Karen? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at her. She just wrote it in in the chat room. Oh, so wow. we'll. Yeah, so hopefully she can say a little bit more about it. We're going to take a quick break, Dion, and come right back, okay, so that you can continue to tell us this story. Thank you. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. You have been listening to Dionne Ford discuss why and how she began the journey to find Josephine and what she discovered in this journey. So let's continue to talk about finding Josephine. So where did you go next? uh
0: let's see we went so many places so um i guess after oh let me just say i found the uh where you can find the lost friends columns from the southwestern christian advocate digitized they're at the historic new orleans collection.org there's a database of lost friends columns there um okay so um where else did we go uh we also actually went to or i should say i went to um maryland because colonel stewart's family um, came from there and it turns out that um there was quite a quite a lot of information about them there um, including uh, portraits that are archived at the Maryland Historical Society and also at the Baltimore um Museum, the Baltimore Art Museum. So um that I hope that something would um give me information about Timothy and um Josephine possibly through researching there. But um I, I found a mostly a lot of information about about um the Colonel and his family there. Um and Also, I should say, I was able to do a lot of research um, here in New Jersey. Josephine's husband, um, the Reverend James Ford, he was um, a minister in the N.E. Church, the Methodist Episcopalian Church, and their records are archived at Drew University, which is here in New Jersey, so, um, and happens to be not far from where I grew up and where my parents still live, so it's that's been kind of a funny you know full circle to um go just down the street from where I grew up and do this history research- you know this research into my family's history and um that was wonderful to be able to find him in their in their uh roles and uh, kind of watch his trajectory as an as a minister over the years, um, you know, coming up through the M.E. church. So um, it was nice to not have to uh, get on a plane. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I bet, I bet. So tell us more. So you you then you looked through the Southwest Christian Advocate newspaper. Tell us more about that, and also what did you find out about just the AME church or the ME church not the AME am i correct that's correct i,
0: I initially thought it was the AME church um and i, I didn't understand mm-hmm. the distinction but it is the the ME church um it, it, actually I, i'm i'm probably not as uh as um on top of this as i should be but but reading the Southwestern Christian Advocate you do start to understand that that there were lots of distinctions in the Methodist church. So there was um, Methodist Episcopal. And then in the South, there are the two factions of it that, that are no other way to say it, that they're for blacks and for whites. So there was the colored ME and then just regular ME. Um, from what I understand, and I think you can see this when you're reading the Southwestern Christian Advocate, while anyone you know could subscribe to it, it, it seemed geared towards the the black membership. Um, mm-hmm. So um, yeah, there were definitely lots of factions of the of the of the of the denomination. Um, and just my own family's history, um, we are a long you know a long line of Methodists. So it was interesting to see that that there was no coincidence to that, that that was rooted in something, and um, my great-great-grandfather, Colonel Stewart, was also a Methodist Episcopalian, so even though they would never have worshiped together, there was this parallel um, um, life happening of my great-great-grandmother being in the uh, colored Methodist Episcopalian church and my great-great-grandfather being in the white Methodist Episcopalian church and then um you know, Josephine continued that tradition. Uh, my father grew up in that in that church and then I originally grew up in that church until um much later and then my parents changed to African Methodist Episcopalian. Mm-hmm.
1: So with the Southwestern Christian Advocate, I understand that you mentioned earlier that your great-grandmother, Josephine, uh, wrote articles and letters that she posted in this magazine. Can you give us an example of some of them? Oh, sure. She um,
0: she started out writing just little um, quick notes to the newspaper saying that she was A girl 16 years old, Um, she takes the Southwestern Christian Advocate and enjoys it. Very little, you know, short ditties. She would sometimes write about her her minister um, if he had spoken at a camp meeting. Um, And then as she got, I guess, older, she started writing articles, and they could be pretty feisty. (laughs) She had strong opinions about how people should pray, I think, and, um, and live. Um, So it was really special to be able to kind of see a glimpse of her personality through, um, through her writing. Um, Very, very special. And um, also just, kind of remarkable to see someone one generation away from slavery um, writing eloquently. You know, it was um, really wonderful. And what I understand about um, about um, newspapers, these these um, church-based newspapers, is that they were in part instructional. It was a way that the kids would write into the newspaper as a way to practice their, their reading and writing. So you would see a lot of these little notes to quote unquote Uncle Cephas, who was probably the editor of the of the newspaper. And the kids mm-hmm. would write saying how old they were and and just something little and it was probably a way to just get them um reading and writing. Um and I also understand that these would be read from the pulpit, the um lost friend column, so that um, you know, enslaved people were not allowed to Read so, the the minister's job then was to read these um, these petitions, these ads, so that if someone was looking for somebody, they would hear it. You know, they would hear that they were being looked for. Um, So that was also very profound to me. But um, um, Josephine, first, the first thing she wrote into the Southwestern Christian Advocate was. let me see if I can find the first thing. Um, oh, here it is. Okay. Dear Uncle Cephas, I take the South and greatly enjoy reading it. I love to read my cousin's letters. Our pastor, Reverend C.K. Crawford, is loved by all. He has had a great many revivals since he has been in Ocean Springs. You're in East Josephine Burton, Ocean Springs, Mississippi. <laughs> so there's just, you know, at first little things. But then um, by the time that she's... Um, Older, not not yet married, but on her way, they they definitely become more uh, involved and more like actual editorials. One, I'll just um, read the first quick paragraph. It's called Hindrance to Prayer." Hindrances to Prayer. She says, "To pray right is to be right and do right. To live right. That which hinders prayer hinders piety." When all the obstructions to right praying are removed, the way is open to the most rapid advancement in the heavenly life. And she goes on to um, talk about, um, quote, a bold and specious humanitarianism is destroying worship. <laughs> so um, she's very serious about her prayer life and thinks everyone else should be very serious about it too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, what was your impression of your great-grandmother after you read, after you had an opportunity to just read her words and, and try to get into her head as to what kind of person she was? Well, I have to say
0: I felt like, I, I felt like she had gumption, like she just seemed like somebody who did her own thing and and um, wasn't, Afraid to just be her own person And I say that in combination with reading this And also the fact that she went by Burton Her mother's name She never went by Stuart Her father's name Which um, it seemed like a lot of her um, her siblings did They went by Stuart And it, it just seemed like a very specific choice um, To use her mother's name um, I think that said something about how she saw herself. Um, so, I, and what I mean by that is, I assume that perhaps there were some advantages to being a steward in her town, where even though you know her, her, even though she's obviously the child of a slave, but uh, I think some some acknowledgement of uh, the her um ancestry may have been advantageous to her and she didn't do that she just stayed with her mother's name so i just feel like that knowing that about her and reading um her her editorials about how to live a good christian life just seemed like she um had a lot of strong opinions and she wasn't afraid to share them i think any time uh-huh down and and puts their writing down in paper for publication it it shows a certain amount of of, um, courage
1: Right and it's it's interesting that you uh, have pointed out that she did not use her father's name but that Mm -hmm. some of her siblings did use Mm -hmm. the father's name. Uh, Was there any kind of document that the father uh, 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 wrote or Anything that said these are my children no um I her death certificate
0: um named him as her father on it but, okay um but any documentation from him I have never seen acknowledging uh her or any of the other siblings. In fact, his obituary says that he had no children.
1: oh, it did.
0: Yes, mm-hmm. his wife could not have children. Um, so, as far as I have seen, he made no public acknowledgement of of children. Um, but I think he he behind the scenes seemed to have made some some private acknowledgments. Um, so I just think it's interesting that around the same time he died uh his oldest son uh began a dairy in the town where they lived so uh, you know i mean my my cousins could talk more about that the the um children, the descendants of of that um sibling alfred burton but it just seems uh interesting that uh the colonel died and then the oldest son Opened a business, <laughs>
1: uh-huh, so
0: I, uh-huh. I, I think I think we all suspect that um, there was some some money somehow transferred to him from um, from the colonel upon his death, um, but that you know that's speculation, no no documentation to go with it. Uh huh.
1: Uh huh. So while you were searching for Josephine, you also discovered the Stewart family. Now, let's talk about the Stewart family for a minute. Have you had any any contact with any descendants of the Stewart family? So, um, so
0: um, the the Colonel and his wife didn't have any children, so they don't have any. They don't have any descendants. However, his his wife, the colonel's wife, um, I've met descendants of her siblings and and the rest of her family. So um, I have had contact with them, and that has been really remarkable because they've had so much um, information that they shared with me. They had a... um, a will where Tempe, my great-great-grandmother, was listed. Uh, and um, um, sad to say, you know, of course, um, given a price, um, but it was in- important to, um, you know, track where she was in time. So, of course, it was really, really helpful, as painful as it is to see those kinds of things. And, and um Working together with them was really, really helpful and um and um challenging <laughs> but uh-huh. um but on the other side of that has become what I would characterize as a really nice friendship, and I hope they would feel the same
1: right now uh you have a statistic that you you wrote in an article letters to the editor from the daughter of a slave. Uh, citing that thirty five percent of all African American men hail from a black woman and that white man from the slavery era, most likely slave and master, but it's difficult to find information about these unions. So you mm-hmm. you did find information about this union so how, since you now, you know your your mixed race ancestry, how has that shaped the way you think about yourself, your identity and your ability to tell your story beyond like you're doing to us but to your children and to other family members? Oh,
0: that's such a good question um, and it's it, I think, for me, what's been really important about learning this history is to um I guess it's been very grounding for me for so long in the time that I grew up, there was just so little information about um slavery um and so it was like it was like being a cipher, you know, <laughs> and mm-hmm. um. It was just very disorienting, so um while it's been sometimes painful and difficult to uh learn about some of the aspects of my um family's history, it's mostly been very um gratifying because there's a you know i think i think all of us want to know where we came from, you know regardless yes of what it- Bent, we want to know that I think we all want to know um where we're from, and so just being able to learn um you know our root in history has been really really remarkable and as far as identity is concerned, you know I feel like that's always changing um i, I feel like there is there is a Point in time where I felt like I wanted to think of myself more as a person descended from several tribes. You know, once I started really finding out all this information, um, I don't really feel that way today. I, I, I you know, I, I, I identify um, sort of narrowly, maybe for other people's taste, but. But, however, you know, I I feel like I can do that because I do know who I am, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's so it's a conscious choice as opposed to something being imposed on me. If that makes, yes. It. Yes, um, death makes really, sense. Yes. Yes, and really, that's all I want to give my children. You know, my my children are biracial. My husband's white, and um, really, all I want for them is that they know their history so well that they're they're not they're not um hampered by it, meaning to say pigeonholed into one category. They can decide that they're everything or one thing, you know. Um but I think um I think knowledge about your personal history really gives you that authority to say who you are.
1: That's right. Something. And I, I think that's a that's a really good good uh, way of looking at it, knowledge about yourself uh your personal history and as you were saying some some of your siblings are really not into understanding their genealogy, whereas others are just whole hog into it and really want to to have that that sense of self and where did they come from and so as as a mother, you have an opportunity to provide your children with the information that you have gathered so that they can carry on and share that with their children one day. Yeah, I definitely hope you will. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Dan, I just want, I mean, we're getting close to the end of the show, but I do have, uh, I do want you to talk to us a little bit about coming to the table because I know that you're a member of coming to the table and just share with us uh, why you're a member of Coming to the Table and given what you have uncovered with your research, has Coming to the Table enabled you to, to understand it better? Sure, yeah. Um, thank you so much for asking about Coming to the
0: Table. Um, actually, they're a really important part of my story. So you asked me about meeting descendants of um, – my great great grandfather, um, and I told you about meeting descendants of his wife, um, who I call my, my cousins now. And um as I mentioned that experience has been really rich. It was also very challenging as you can imagine, being um in such close contact with the family of of a woman who had enslaved my my great great grandmother my she, she was enslaved by um Stuart's wife first and then was given as a the story is to, goes that she was given to um him when him and the wife when when uh when they got married through the family. So she was passed down through the family. So sometimes our interactions were really, really challenging for me. Um it could be very painful to hear some things, and um, so I went to coming to the table. I contacted them um, when I was in contact with these linked descendants because I was feeling very challenged, and I was um, feeling very angry and having a difficult time. Uh, of our with our relationship, I really wanted to be in relationship with them, but it just brought up so much anger. To be honest with you, um, mm-hmm. so and actually, it was my linked descendant, the descendant of of, of Elizabeth Stewart, uh, Elizabeth Macaulay Stewart, who told me about them. I, I actually we both happened to read an article in CNN.com about them right about the same time, but he forwarded the article to me and. Um, I contacted them, and and one of their co-founders, Susan Hutchinson, got back to me, and we had a great discussion, and it really, really helped me to navigate this relationship because I did want to have a relationship with them, Um, but I also wanted to find a way to acknowledge my own feelings um, Yes, Mm -hmm. in a way that was was safe for me but somehow could also be... um, good for our relationship. And so coming to the table really, really helped me with that and, and and then I just um wanted to stay involved with them and um and have ever since.
1: And so is this uh, a group that you would recommend to others that are uh dealing with anger as it relates to uh slavery and connecting with the descendants of of slave owners uh just just help us understand why would someone want to become a part of coming to the table oh sure so coming to the table is an organization that was um
0: started to bring together descendants of slaves and the descendants of slaveholders to help um Go forward together in healing the legacy of slavery it's not only there it's not only descendants of either of those groups. there are people who are members just because they um believe in the mission of um healing the legacy of slavery so I wouldn't say that it's exclusive to just you know descendants of slaves or slaveholders um but certainly um um certainly those groups are there too. And um, yeah, really it's just for anybody who um, is committed to that mission of healing the um, legacy of slavery in this country.
1: And there there are
0: people also, Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead on. I I was just going to say that, um, you know, that, that, that concept is, is broad, you know, um, we we are concerned with with anything that really is um is trying to um really heal that that long reaching legacy. So for example, you know, this um the legacy of mass incarceration, you know, among um people of color would be something that someone might come to the table over, you know, to try and connect with people who are also trying to um look for ways to um combat that.
1: Yes. Okay. So as we kinda of wrap up the show tonight, uh Dion, uh do you have any any advice that you would want to share with others that are on that journey as you were to find Josephine? Uh, well, just kind of what would you what would you tell people if they're searching? You know, what would you say? Well, I guess I would say if you if you
0: still have you know older family members, first and foremost, talk to your family. Um, they are a treasure trove of information, and sometimes even not the oldest ones. I learned a lot of things from my uncle because he was so close to my grandfather. So um definitely talk to the people around you who carry your history and then certainly connect with other people whether it's you know your, your actual family or through um there's so many wonderful websites AfroGenius is fantastic um so definitely get connected and and there's so much help to be found from other people who might be a little bit further along in their Um, research than you are and finally i would say really um really pay close attention to where your family is from um someone might be writing about that town and be including your family in their history you just never know so i think um really paying close attention to the the specifics of your family's story is so important and then um going from there connecting with other people on the journey and um definitely talking to your family members to find out what they might know that you that you don't
1: that's right well i want to just thank you so very much uh for sharing with us tonight your journey to find josephine and all of the the wonderful resources you share with us So good night, everybody. Again, thank you so much, Dion Ford, for joining us. And please remember, everybody, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, Research at the National Archives and Beyond. Now, you can continue this discussion on the Research at the National Archives and Beyond and com Facebook pages. And also remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday. Thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond blog talk radio. This show is sponsored by your host Bernice Bb's Genealogy Research and Educational Services LLC, and my website is www.geniebroots.com. I look forward to you joining me next Thursday. This is your host Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night, everyone. Good night, Dan. Good night, Bernice. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye.